Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. It's good to be here again. Uh, we've killed some more trees, uh, so you have a handout uh, on your seat. Um, I, I thought I would just give you this little table, justification, sanctification, make it a little bit clear. And then, well, what the heck, put the whole lot down there as well. So you've, con- you've got the whole takeaway for, for the sermon. <laughs> There's some good quotes coming up. <clears throat> yeah, so your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. You knew that already, didn't you? Yes, yes. Actions uh, speak louder than words. Uh, easy to say you're a Christian. Uh, not so easy to live the Christian life. Um, And uh, our wonderful nation of Namibia uh, gives us a wonderful picture of how difficult it is. Uh, We know over 90% of Namibians call themselves Christians. On the census box, when you tick your faith, you put Christian, and over nine out of 10 Namibians tick that box. Uh, So we're one of the world's leading Christian nations in terms of paper, yeah, we're la- we're absolutely, but the laugh is the reality, isn't it? Yeah, that's the reality of how hard it is to actually live what you say. It's much easier to say you're a Christian to actually uh, be one. Uh, yeah, we know Namibia, gender-based violence, alcoholism, uh, road deaths per capita. I mean, we are, we are also high in the world on those things as well. And how does that, how do, how does that fit with being 90% Christians? It doesn't, it doesn't work, does it? Uh, so we actually have a picture of the problem that we have uh, as Christians. Uh, we, we still have to live the Christian life, uh, and actions do speak louder words. Some wise guy said, he was probably a lawyer, uh, he, probably, he said this, he said, if you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to gain a conviction? Mm, think about that. <laughs> if you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence uh, to gain a conviction. Uh, we know that we need to walk the talk, but how, how do we actually get there? How do we actually do it? Uh, my friend Birdian said, Gunning, you need to be practical. If you're not practical enough, I'm leaving. Uh, so Birdian, I'm glad you're sitting at the back, not at the front. So you can just leave quietly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so how do we do this? Because we actually have a problem. Uh, Rico, thank you for the last two weeks. Uh, Rico highlighted for us the problem. Romans 7. Sin is right there with us when we try and live as Christians. When we, when we try and walk the talk, uh, we have this, we're still in this sinful flesh. We still have this sinful uh, human nature. Uh, and, and as Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. Uh, my wife supports that statement very highly uh, <laughs> this morning. Uh, God says, uh, be holy as I am holy. That's, that's the challenge. That's the standard. I mean, if, if he said, be holy as Sibylla is holy, I, I think I could have a go at that. That would be okay. But, but he didn't say that. He said, be holy as I am holy. And, and okay, how do we do that? How on earth do we do that? We have this, we have this problem. The, not just us. In fact, the whole church has always had this problem. Uh, the, the, it was a problem in Paul's day uh, when he was uh, writing. Uh, to the Romans. We had Romans 7. Um, he, he highlighted the problems in the previous chapter, Romans chapter 6, when he was, he was talking about how, how we are saved by faith, not by works. Our good works will never save us. 
God actually says, your righteousness is like dirty rags. No, even, even our righteousness is, is, is rubbish to God. Okay. Um, do you know, we are so sinful, we don't know how sinful we are. That's the problem. We're so sinful, we think we're pretty good. That's how bad we are. Yeah, okay. Uh, and so Paul says, you know, we'll never be good enough to save ourselves. We'll never be good enough to get into heaven on our own righteousness. We, we need to trust in someone else's righteousness. And of course, he's highlighting the death of Christ. Uh, and then he says, well, because, you know, if Jesus has died for our sins and taken all our sins away, uh, you know, he, Paul is already imagining people will just say, oh, then it doesn't matter how we live. We can just carry on sinning. So chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Uh, by no means we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? He's, he's anticipating the problems that people are going to start thinking when he's talking about this doctrine of salvation by faith. <laughs> Uh, he actually repeats it later in uh, verse uh, 15 of chapter 6. Uh, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Because we're under grace, we can just carry on sinning. Because God will just ask for forgiveness and God will forgive us. You know. uh, again, by no means. So, so Paul is already anticipating you know, this problem of, of living, you know, living with sin, living with a sinful nature as Christians. Christians and sin. Ah, how do we cope with that? problem came up a little bit further on. Uh, the early church began to be very strict about Christians who sin, and they began to think of ways of encouraging the church to live holy lives, to walk the talk. Uh, and eventually they come up with a doctrine that said, once you were baptized, if you became a Christian, you were baptized in the church. Uh, then if you sinned, you were, you were, you were going to hell again. You were, your salvation was wiped out and you were going back to hell again, you know? But that was, that was only after... If you, you see, if you haven't been baptized, you weren't really a Christian, according to their teaching. Okay, uh, Once you were baptized, you were, you were in. But then if you sinned, you were out again. Okay, And of course, people didn't like this because they knew, they knew that after baptism, they would still sin. It's a reality. They had a sinful human nature. So how do we get around this problem? Well, we don't get baptized. That's what happened. Okay, So early church... Christians started to not get baptized, so it, then it didn't matter if they sinned as Christians because, because they hadn't been baptized, so they wouldn't go to hell because they hadn't sinned after their baptism because they weren't baptized. You get the idea? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but of course, the church taught that to, to get into heaven, you had to be baptized. So, oh gosh, okay, at some point I need to get baptized, but I don't want to sin after my baptism. So, next, pastor, next week. Uh, next week, okay. People kept putting it off. Eventually, they... People got baptized on their deathbeds as they were about to die. Uh, your last croak, quick, baptize me. Boom. Because you're not going to sin on your deathbed, are you? You know, you can't look at a nurse lustfully when you're breathing your last breath. <laughs> you know? And so that's what people began to do. And then we, we, this is where we have the Catholic doctrine of, of death, you know, extreme unction and baptizing people on their deathbed. That's where it comes from. Okay? That's a, that's a terrible solution to the problem. <laughs> it's awful. It's a terrible solution to the problem. Another solution, uh, about 1,000, 1100 AD, the church had the same problem again. How do we make Christians walk the talk? How do we make them live a holy life? I know, we'll invent a doctrine, okay? We'll invent something, fantasy theology, nothing to do with this, and they called it purgatory. The idea that uh, when Christians died, uh, you had to kind of be punished for the sins that you'd committed as a Christian kind of in the waiting room of heaven. Before you could get in, you had to, you had to be 
do penance. You had to sort of be punished in the waiting room uh, for several thousand years until you'd paid for the penalty of your sins that you'd committed after you became a Christian. You see, that's, it's this problem of sinning after becoming a Christian. That's the problem. Uh, and, and the Catholic Church is very helpful, uh, having, having invented the fantasy theology of called purgatory, uh, they then come up with more fantasy theology of how many years it would take for each kind of sin, you see? So you knew, you knew how many years it was going to be before you got into heaven, you see? Um, so this was purgatory. You, you're, you're, you're punished for your sins that you committed after you're a Christian. Because then, it, then that, that will make Christians live a holy life. That'll stop them sinning as Christians, won't it? Because they'll be afraid of purgatory. Sending more and more years in purgatory before you get into rubbish, fantasy theology, nothing to do with this at all. <laughs> but again, it's it's wrestling with the problem uh, and uh, coming up with the wrong answer. Okay, so you know, uh, post-baptismal sin, dying, deathbed baptism, purgatory—these are all terrible answers to to the problem. <laughs> uh, the, prob the the answer we're going to look at today is. Sanctification, that's the last one. And so on your sheet, you've got this, uh, this chart of, of the two aspects of grace. So I'm trying not to do a, a net lecture this morning, Birdian. Okay, is that all right? I'm, I'm trying not to do a lecture. I'm still trying to preach. Um, but we're, we're in amazing grace. And, and, and looking at justification, looking at sanctification, this is all amazing grace. Okay, it's, it's someone said... All Christians are theologians, not just those who go to nets. We're, we're all theologians, whether we like it or not. We all have to do theology. We all have to know and understand what God has done for us. Does that make sense? So we, we're all, we've all got this job of, of doing theology, <laughs> even if we're not going to nets. Okay. So getting to grips with what God has done for us, understanding it and putting it in practice, that's, that's doing theology. Uh, so here we go. Here we go. Uh, we're, we're very interested. We're very familiar with the left-hand column, justification, um, Jesus dying on the cross, uh, saving us from our sins, uh, opening a way back into heaven, uh, relating to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this life. You know, the Christian life. That, that's justification. Um, it's actually, in, in Greek, it's actually a legal term. We've got, we're surrounded by lawyers this morning. It's actually a legal term. Uh, if, you're, if you're in court and you're in the dock and the trial happens and, and, and the magistrate or the judge bangs his gavel and he says, not guilty, you, you are justified, if you like. You're, you're allowed to walk out of the court uh, free. Okay? That's, that's, that's the dikaiusone. That's the Greek word that's behind our English word of justification. <clears throat> it's actually a legal declaration where the judge says we are not uh, guilty. Uh, so think of it like that. Sanctification, so over on the right-hand side. Uh, sanctification, got a different name. Uh, sanctification sounds like something holy or terrible, awful. It's not. It's just holiness. Sanctification is just a, a, a posh theological word for, for holiness, for being holy as God is holy. And, and even simpler, if you don't like the word holiness, <laughs> okay, don't like the word sanctification, don't like the word holiness, think of it like this. It's becoming like Jesus. When you read the Gospels, you get, a, you get a fantastic picture of who Jesus is and what he's like. It's just amazing. Uh, we were doing John's Gospel at Nets this last semester. Read John's Gospel to get a picture of what Jesus is like. 
Okay? And then Jesus turns around and said, okay, be holy as I am holy. That's, that's what we are to aim at, become, become more like Jesus. That's, that's sanctification. So if you don't like these theological terms, justification, sanctification, think of it in terms of, of these everyday words. Not guilty, justification. And sanctification is becoming like Jesus. That's, that's our task as, as Christians. Back to the left-hand side. What's, what's the basis of our, of our justification? How does the judge tell us guilty sinners that we are not guilty? The basis of that is, is Christ's death on the cross. That's, that's the basis of justification. Um, that's the work of God alone. He alone does that. The Father sends the Son. Uh, the Son is willing to die on the cross. Uh, God does that. That's what Paul says. We are, we are justified by faith. We put our trust in the work that God alone did, not on our good works. Okay? I don't trust my good works to get into heaven. I trust the work that somebody else did on my behalf. Okay? That's God's work alone. Okay? It's also once off completed work. It's finished. Jesus died once and he only has to die once. Okay? His was the perfect sacrifice. And even when he died, <clears throat> excuse me, John 19, verse 30, even when he died on the cross, he said, <clears throat> it is finished. Not, not I am finished, but it is finished. Okay? It wasn't a cry of despair that I'm dead now. It's, it's a cry of triumph. I've completed the work that the Father gave me to do. It is finished. The work of salvation is finished. Done. Okay? We get into heaven because Jesus died on the cross. We, our good works don't add anything to that. Uh, John Calvin said, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sins for which Jesus died. Yeah? Good. I like that. Okay? So justification is God's work and God's work only. Okay? He does it. We contribute nothing. It's Christmas coming. Christmas is coming. Justification is the biggest Christmas present. We just receive. Okay? You know, your father's got a big present for you. Oh, Dad, how much do I pay you for this Christmas present? Huh? You know, we don't pay people for Christmas presents. Same with justification. We don't do anything. We don't add anything. We don't contribute anything. We just receive. We receive it with thanks. Sanctification. Okay. The opposite. So justification is God's work alone. But sanctification is actually our work as well as God's. It's, it's a cooperation. Okay. Um, here's Romans again. Romans 8 verse uh, 13. Uh, <clears throat> if you've got your phones or your Bibles, have a look, otherwise read it later. Uh, Romans 8.13, uh, Paul says this, uh, for if you live, he's writing to Christians, uh, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. In other words, you know, if you say you're a Christian, but you're just living the same old way, nothing's changed. <laughs> you're, you know, nothing's, you're still on the way down, okay? But, but he says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, pronouns are very important. We know that. Yes, pronouns are very important. Um, but look at these pronouns here. These are, these are good pronouns. Okay. Um, he says, but if by the Spirit, okay, you put to death. Do you see the cooperation there? Okay. Who, in other words, who does the work in sanctification? Who, who has to sweat blood and tears to get it done? Well, it's God and us. We do it. We put to death the misdeeds of the body by the spirit we can't do it we we don't have enough power to triumph over our sinful natures okay 
but God does and the Holy Spirit. Don't forget, when, when God gives us the Holy Spirit, he gives us the Holy Spirit. It's very important. I have the Spirit of God, yes, but you have the Holy Spirit of God. God does not want us Christians walking around with the Holy Spirit living unholy lives. How is that glorifying to God? He's given us the Holy Spirit, so we should live holy. <laughs> yeah? Okay. But, but we do it in cooperation with God. This is, this is the opposite of justification. Yeah? Justification is all God's work, and we just, we just put our trust in the work that God did for us. But when it comes to sanctification, when it comes to living a holy life, we cooperate with God. We have to, we have to work with him on that. It's, it's both of us together. We, we can actually stop our sanctification. Yeah? We can be the roadblock that stops us living holy lives. We can actually stop the process. That's scary. The Holy Spirit says, do this. We say, nope. We can actually dig our heels in and, and, say, and say no. Uh, that's... that's that's awful, <laughs> but it's the reality. It's, that's the difference between justification uh, and sanctification. Uh, just a, a, a practical thing, Birdian, I'm trying to be practical. Uh, <laughs> um, when, when the Spirit is, is, is sort of, you know, we, we ask God, Lord, Lord, make me holy. You know, I, I'm up for the challenge. I want to be holy as you are holy. Uh, holy Spirit, show me what I need to work on. What, what needs to be cast out? What, show me what I need to work on. Uh, when the Spirit shows us what he wants us to be working on next, he is very specific, okay? When you pray for guidance, keep in step with the Spirit. When you ask God to show you the next thing in your life to work on, God will show you. He'll, he'll be very specific and very very careful. It'll be crystal clear. Now, we need to contrast that with Satan. Satan just loves to condemn us. Oh, you sinful Christian, okay? Uh, and he puts us under a cloud of accusation. That's what Satan, Satan the name Satan means accuser. Satan loves to accuse us, but he, he doesn't accuse us specifically. He accuses us generally. He gives us a general cloudy, foggy feeling of accusation and guilt and failure and everything else, and we just sink down into the mud, yes? He is not specific. That feeling that you feel is not from the Holy Spirit. That's from Satan trying to make you give up, okay? When, when God wants you to address something or tackle something in your life, he will be crystal clear and specific. And we, we need to have our spirit sensitive to who is, who is, who is pointing the finger, who's working at us, okay? I, I, we need to be very clear that what this feels like as Christians. <laughs> when, when Satan's attacking us and accusing us, there's nothing specific. He, there's nothing specific that you can't nail fog to the wall. <laughs> you know, he, wants, he doesn't want it to be specific. He just wants us to feel failures. So he will put us under a cloud of guilt and accusation. Uh, uh, somebody else said, uh, uh, Jesus takes our sins away, he throws them in the lake, and he puts up a sign saying, no fishing. Yeah? And Satan says, here, here's a fishing rod, go for it, get out what you can. You know, Satan wants us to go back to our sinful nature and fish all those things out and get depressed and, 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 and give up because of our sinful Christian lives. Call yourself holy, <laughs> call yourself a Christian. He wants us to give up, but the Spirit will be very specific. I hope that's a practical help. Okay, a picture from the Old Testament, uh, something that might help. Something that might help us think about justification and, and sanctification. Um, uh, the, the picture of justification, the picture of salvation in the Old Testament is Exodus, okay? Uh, God's people in slavery in Egypt, uh, God sends Moses to them to lead them out of, of slavery. 
Um, and that's the picture of salvation uh, 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 and God saving his people. There it is, that's Exodus. Uh, and then uh, the picture of sanctification or holiness uh, is actually Sinai, okay? So uh, where Moses leads, leads the people out of Egypt, um, uh, a couple of weeks later he gets down to the peninsula, bottom of the peninsula, and there's Mount Sinai, and, and then God gives the law and the Ten Commandments and everything to, to his people. Now, <clears throat> this helps us differentiate between justification and sanctification. When God's people cried out in slavery and said, God, save us, God didn't send them Moses with the two tablets of stone saying, okay, you lot, obey this lot, obey the Ten Commandments and all the law, and then God will get you out. Okay? He didn't say that. God just saved them. Having saved them, he then gave them the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. Okay? The, the law was never meant to save his people. God saved his people first. He only gave them the law and instructions and all these things once they were saved, once they were out. They were, they were on their way to the promised land. They were going to start, they were, had been a bunch of slaves and now they were going to be in control of their own nation. They needed to know how to live. And that's, that's the law. And then the Quran was God, was, God was showing his people how to live in the new nation that they would become. The Jews regard the law as grace. Yeah, amazing grace. <laughs> Did you ever think the Ten Commandments were grace and the law was grace? Well, it's the grace, amazing grace, okay? That's why in John's gospel, uh, John says when he saw Jesus, Jesus was grace upon grace, okay? New Testament grace upon Old Testament grace. The, the Old Testament is grace. God not only saved his people from Egypt, he graciously gave them the law and the commandments so that they would know how to live as God's people in the world. That was gracious of God. Yeah, okay. It was never God's intention that he would save his people once they'd obeyed the law. He didn't give them the law and said, obey this and then I'll save you. Do you get the idea? That, that would be salvation by works. <laughs> uh, salvation, Exodus, just God. That was just God getting his people out, okay? Uh, having, having saved them, then God gave them the instructions and, uh, for showing how to live. Um, so, you know, we, we don't read the Bible and, and, and see it as a list of all the things that we now have to do to be saved, okay? Um, I've got there, NB, our sanctification does not save us. That's really important. Our sanctification doesn't save us. It's God saves us. Justification is what saves us. Yeah? Our sanctification doesn't save us. We must be sanctified, <laughs> but that doesn't save us. Okay? So a little bit of the next one above that, I've jumped. Uh, so justification, sanctification, they're different, but they're related. Here's the, here it is. No justification without sanctification. No sanctification without justification. That needs a little bit of explaining. Okay. So uh, no justification without sanctification. We can't say to God, Lord, I want you to save me, but I don't want to live a holy life. Uh-uh. If, if, if we want God to save us, sanctification is on the cards. We can't escape sanctification. Okay. If we want God to save us from our sins, we have to learn to turn away from our sins and live holy lives and not sinful lives, okay? There is no justification without sanctification. If you want to be saved, sanctification is part of the package. You can't have one and not the other, okay? But the opposite is also true. There is no sanctification without justification. In other words, we can't become better people just by wanting to be better people and trying hard, okay? We can't actually be holy as God is holy without 
being saved first. This is what all the self-help stuff and all the Buddhist meditation and all the yoga and everything self forgets. It's trying to find a, a way of holiness, a way of sanctification that, that ignores justification. We cannot be holy. We cannot live holy lives. We don't have the power to do that unless we are saved first. There is, there is no sanctification without justification. Get the idea? So the two things are different, but they're related like that. No justification without sanctification. No sanctification without justification. So you know, don't, don't think of the Bible, now that you're a Christian, don't think of the Bible as the, the, law, the laws and the Ten Commandments that we must now keep in order to keep our salvation and keep on the way to... No, no, no. God is, is just showing us how to live now. He has saved us. Now he's graciously showed us what he wants us to do and, and how we are uh, to live. So that's, that's the task in front of us. That's, that's the, the goal in front of us. God has saved us. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And now he wants us to reflect that holiness. Yeah, it's good to be born again. But uh, as we who are parents know, uh, you know the, the birth of your child is great. Um, wonderful thing. But if that baby stays as a baby, there's a problem. Okay? We want to see our babies grow up into primary school kids, high school kids. You know, we want, we, see, we want to see some growth there. Okay? It's the same with God. We are born again. God wants to see some growth, guys. <laughs> Let's not have a church of babies. You know, oh, there's a 50-year-old baby Christian. You know, he's been in church for 50 years. He's still a baby because he hasn't gone on this route of holiness. You see? And God doesn't want a church full of babies. We're born again, but we must grow in holiness. That's the task in front of us. So here's some, here's some great quotes. Luther, I think, was this is my favorite. Oh, if you want some good quotes, just Google Luther quotes. Fantastic. Um, I'm not a Lutheran, but I love Luther. Uh, <laughs> and, and one of the things he said to help us get our heads around justification and sanctification, what's the difference? He said this, good works will never make, never make a man holy, but a holy man will do good works. That's, that's brilliant. That's a brilliant balance of the two things, okay? Good works will never make a man holy. In other words, we will never be able to get into heaven with our own good works and our own righteousness. We'll never be able to do enough good stuff to get into heaven. Good works will never make a man holy. But once we become a Christian, once we become holy people, we will do good works. You see? Good works are not the basis of our salvation. Good works are what we do after we're saved to reflect the holiness of the Holy Spirit that God has given us. That's, that's a wonderful balance. Uh, Jesus said something very similar, Matthew 23, 25, and 26. Uh, he, he, he was really ripping into the Pharisees uh, and their, uh, their Phariseeism. That's a terrible word. Their, <laughs> uh, you know, they had their hypocrisy. You know, they were claiming to be holy, but, but nothing at all. You know, their holiness was all on the outside, nothing on the inside. Um, he said, you are like, you're like whitewashed graves. You're all lovely and white and clean on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. Which is a nice thing to say, isn't it? But, but he's making the point. He knows he's got a week before he's going to die anyway, so he might as well go out with a bang, you know. <laughs> uh, and then he said this. He said to the Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup, and then the outside will also be clean. The Pharisees were all about cleaning the outside, yeah, nice clean outside of the cup. But then you look in, ugh, coffee drinks. Okay? They hadn't cleaned the inside. They were just polishing the outside. And Jesus said, you've missed the point. Your job is to clean the inside. Justifications, right standing with God. Yeah? Get your, get your 
Get the inside clean first. And then guess what happens? Then the outside will also be clean. It's almost automatic, isn't it? It's almost automatic. Not quite, but almost. There's a promise there. First clean the inside of the cup, and then the outside will also be clean, as if it happens automatically. Of course it doesn't. We know that. You talked about sanctification being a partnership. <laughs> but, the, but, but justification is the keystone, is the foundation of sanctification. Once we are justified, God can begin working on us. Once he's cleaned the inside, that's the work of God. Only God can clean the inside. <laughs> but once God has done that, he can start working on the outside. And, and he will do it. And we will cooperate. And we will, we will become uh, God's uh, holy people. So that's Luther, that's Jesus, and now this one is me. Uh, this is my picture. Uh, as Christians, okay, so imagine yourself, you're dirty dishes, okay, but you're not in the, the dishwasher is the church, okay, you're outside the church, you're not a Christian, okay. When you become a Christian, what's, what, you're born again, you're, you're a baby, you're a baby Christian, uh, God takes, the, takes you, the dirty cup, and he puts you in the dishwasher and he puts the stuff in and he presses the button and the dishwasher starts working okay that's that's becoming a christian according to me okay so so and yeah it doesn't happen straight away my dishwasher cycle is about an hour and a half doesn't happen overnight you know you don't start the cycle and then open the door and out comes your no no it takes a while okay so as christians we are dirty dishes but at least we're in the dishwasher now Okay, there are plenty of dirty dishes out there who are not in the dishwasher, those, those unbelievers out there, okay? <laughs> Once we become Christians, we're in the dishwasher, God presses the button, the program is started, we are being cleansed. That's sanctification. You get the idea? And as Rico has shown us, Romans 7, we're, we're not perfect yet, we're struggling with sin, we're still dirty, we're still wrestling, but it's a process. The dishwasher program doesn't happen like that. It's an hour and a half or whatever it is, okay? But then the promise is one day the program finishes, the door opens, and then the dishes are perfect. Okay? One day we will be clean. Okay? Where are we now before we get to heaven? We are dirty dishes in the dishwasher, in the, and the program is running. Okay? Get the idea? Is that, is that a helpful way to think of it? I'm try, yeah, try, just trying to think. <laughs> the, the thing is, sanctification actually works. It really happens. Okay? Christians do actually start to become like Jesus. Have you actually thought about that? That is amazing grace, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing to, to have Jesus die for your sins and, and, and give you right standing with him and you're on the way to heaven. That's amazing enough. But God doesn't leave us there. <laughs> he actually wants to change us. He actually gives us the power to change and become like him. When This isn't just fantasy theology. This is reality. This is, this, is what, this, is, this is what is actually happening in our Christian lives. We are actually becoming more like Jesus. I mean, when you think about it, that's incredible. That's amazing. It really is amazing. Um, some more pictures from me. Okay, uh, you go away on holiday, uh, you leave your house empty. While you're away, the pipe bursts, okay, and you come back home, you open the door, and you're, the flood washes you back down the path, okay? Your house is ruined, okay? Um, what, what have you got to do? You've got to mop up the mess, okay? Uh, you've got to mop up all the mess, and then you think, Phew, thank goodness, house is dry, house is clean, I'm tired after my holiday, I'm going to go up to bed in the morning, uh, bed, sleep at night. When you get in the morning, guess what? The water's back. 
You cleaned up the mess, but you didn't fix that. You didn't get the plumber in to fix the pipe. Yeah. <laughs> so guess what? You've got to do it all over again. Okay. That's sanctification. Sanct sanctification is actually fixing the broken pipe so that the leak stops and there's no more mess in the morning. Do you get the idea? We, we don't just mop up the mess, we fix the broken pipe. That's sanctification, okay? God says, you, you, you were my enemies, you were living in sin, I've, I've saved you, okay? You're saved now, and, and now we need to fix the pipe, okay? The drips, we're still dripping, <laughs> but the drip is slowly getting less, okay? <laughs> the, the pipe is being fixed. It, sanctification is real, it actually happens. We actually get better. We fix the root of the, the root of the problem of the mess is the broken pipe. So don't just clean up the mess, fix the pipe. Sanctification is God fixing the pipe. He's, God is the plumber, okay? Jesus is the mopper, but he's also the plumber. The Holy Spirit is the plumber who fixes the, you get the idea, okay. So. We're in Rundu for many years. Uh, lots of malaria in, in Rundu. And of course, the biggest symptom of malaria, fever and headache. Uh, and of course, if you've got that terrible malaria headache, you need, you need to cure that headache. So everybody in Rundu, when the, headache, when the malaria season comes around, go to the state hospital, oh, panado, 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 panado. It's, it's good to have panado for malarial headache because your headache is lessened, okay? But if you really want to cure the headache, you can't just keep on taking Panado. You actually have to cure the malaria, yes? That's the best way to get rid of a malaria headache, is to get rid of the malaria, okay? So, you know, Fancida or Quinine or whatever it is, you know, cure the malaria and then guess what? The headache, well, you won't need Panado because you've had the Quinine. Get the idea? Okay. So, so that's sanctification. Sanctification is actually not just giving panado for malaria, it's actually giving quinine to cure the malaria. So we actually don't have malaria anymore, and then we don't have headaches anymore, hopefully. Get the idea? You know, it's the same, it's, it's the same picture. Get the idea. So that's sanctification. It's fixing the tap, it's curing the malaria. Is your garden full of weeds? Mine is. And, and we know that if we just go and cut all the weeds out, okay, chop, 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 next week they're all back again. If we want to get rid of the weeds, we have to pull them up from the roots, don't we? Pull out the roots. Uh, my neighbor, he sends his boys out with the spades. They hate it. Rikers, mm, he feels that. Spades, his hands are still, yeah. <laughs> because you scrape out the roots. You don't, just, you don't just remove, you don't just cut the weed, you get the roots out. That's sanctification. Sanctification is not chopping the weeds, it's pulling up from the roots. That's what God actually does. He, yeah, get the idea? Um, if God only chopped the weeds from the surface, they'd be back again next week. But God, the Holy Spirit actually works with us to pull, up, pull out the sin from the roots. The roots come out and the weeds are destroyed and the garden looks lovely. Do you get the idea? So that's my pictures of, of sanctification. It actually works. We actually become more like Christ. Sin is actually dealt with. If by the Spirit you put to death the body of sin, yeah? It actually, it actually dies. <laughs> sin is actually dealt with. We become, we do actually become more like Jesus. We are on the path to becoming holy as I am holy, says God. One day the dishwasher cycle will be finished, will come out. That's called glorification. That's heaven. That's when Jesus comes back. The, the process will be finished one day. We'll get there eventually. So the theologians say, when we, what, what, how are we to view ourselves as Christians who are still struggling with sin? 
in the light of all this. They say, be who you are in Christ. That's, that's our job as Christians, is to be who we are. Okay? Well, because, because, of what, because of amazing grace, we, we are sinless in God's eyes. Okay? That's who we are. We are saved. We're God's children. We're not God's enemies. So now we should be that. Get the idea? They say something more complicated. They say the indicative gives the imperative. An indicative is the state you are. The imperative is the command. Okay? So the indicative, who you are, gives the imperative what you should be. Okay? Be, that's the imperative, be who you are in Christ. Okay? If we don't know who we are in Christ, how can we ever be it? How can we know what to aim at if we don't know who we are? So that's, that's our job as Christians. Who are we in Christ? What's our standing before God? What's our status before God? Then we are to be it and live it out. Yeah? Do we lie awake at night worrying about our future sins as Christians? I do sometimes. As I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking, you know, I'm from Rico. Romans 7, what about my sins? You know, what about the sins that I will commit? Yeah? I'm a Christian, but I'm still living with a sinful nature. I'm still going to commit sin, and, and those future sins are just weighing me down. You know? How? What am I? Oh, what? That's getting in the way of me and God. There's an answer to this, and it's, an answer, it's a very simple answer, and it's a very profound answer, and it may be an answer we haven't yet thought of, okay? But it's, it's, it is amazing, and, and it's, it's this. Coming back to justification, coming back to the work of Jesus on the cross, okay? Maybe, maybe our imaginations will help us. So here we are today, this Sunday, okay? Imagining, imagine all your sins on your left hand, the sins you have committed in the past. Your past sins are on the left-hand side, okay? You can close your eyes if that helps. If you really want to visualize all your sins, you probably don't, so leave your eyes open. Okay, so you're standing here Sunday. What is the date today? 20? Thank you. Sunday 27. All your past sins, 26th, 25th, and all the way back, okay, are on your left side, okay? And, and we know that as Christians, Jesus died on the cross, and we know that he's taken away all our past sins, yes? Yes, praise the Lord, that's amazing grace, that's what he's done. He's taken away all our sins, okay? But we have a problem, because when you look to the right, there are all the future sins that we will commit on the right-hand side, okay? And there they are, so our left-hand side, nothing. But the right-hand side is chock-full of sins, the future, okay? Now... Use your imagination. Imagine the death of Christ also taking those. He bore all our sins in his body on the tree. Not just the ones on the left that we have committed, but the future ones that we will commit. He's taken those as well. Be who you are in Christ. This is who you are in Christ. Not only are there no sins on the left, there are none on the right either. When God looks at you, he doesn't see a gap for the past sins sorted out and a big crowd of sins on the right that haven't been sorted out. Is that profound? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever realized that? That's what, this is amazing. That's amazing. Yes, it's amazing grace. God, when Jesus died on the cross, he did not merely just take away the sins we have committed. He has also removed from God's sights the sins that we will commit. We just sang, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. We are free of our future sins as well as our past ones. Yeah? Have you felt, can you feel it? <laughs> Can you feel that freedom? We are, you don't have to wake up at three in the morning worried about your future sins because Jesus has already dealt with them. He's taken away. When God looks at you, he no longer sees 
your past sins or your future sins either. You are standing in God's presence sinless because Jesus has borne in his body our sins, our future sins as well as our past sins. That's just an incredible, that's an incredible thing to realize. We are free of sin because God no longer, be, and now the command is be who you are in Christ, okay? In Christ, no future sins, no past sins. God, God's removed them all. He doesn't see them anymore. He's thrown them in the lake and he said, no fishing, not even the future ones. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds a miracle. It sounds impossible. But remember, when Jesus died, all your sins were in the future, Yes? It's just because we're in time on November the 27th. Yeah, thank you. It's just because we're in time, we distinguish between past sins and future sins. When Christ died, he didn't. He died for all of them. You see? Past, you get the idea. <laughs> when Christ died, all our sins, your sins, my sins, were all in the future. He dealt with them. It's just that we haven't committed them yet. But they're dealt with. And we can be free of them. Okay? And it sounds like like Paul saying, oh, let's carry on sinning then because we've got no, we've got no sins. You know, God's dealt with our future sins, so let's party. You know, No, it, it actually works the opposite way around. When we realize that Jesus has taken away our future sins, it, it, it helps us to avoid going, okay, so I'm not going to go down that road then because that's already dealt with. Knowing that your future sins are also out of God's sight, actually helps you live a, a more holy life. It actually helps you resist sin when you realize that Jesus has taken your future sins away. Get the idea? It's, it, it, it's, it, you'd think it would work the opposite way. <laughs> you'd think if, you really re if we really realized that our future sins were removed from God's presence, it would make us sin more as Christians. But actually the effect is the opposite. Knowing that God has dealt with our future sins, we say to ourselves, well then why should I do it then? Why should I commit that sin? Why should I give in to that temptation when I know that Jesus has already dealt with them? So let's not go that route. Yeah? It actually has the opposite effect. It's, it's very profound. But that, that's actually, I hope that's practical enough, Burdin. <laughs> it's, it's a very simple but very profound realization of, 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 our, of, of how God sees us and our status in, in Christ. Not just our past sins dealt with, but our future ones dealt with as well. When Christ, when God looks at you and me, he sees no sins at all. Past and future are all dealt with by Christ on the cross. And, and God just sees you in Christ. Yeah, God actually gives us Christ's righteousness. <laughs> he sees himself in us uh, because we, we stand in the righteousness of Christ. Okay, trying to get more practical stuff. Uh, Romans 12, verse 2, we know, be transformed. How does this happen? How do, we, how do we become holy as God is holy? This process of sanctification, working with the Spirit. Romans 12, verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your kidneys. No, be transformed by the renewing of your, your thought. Where, where does transformation start? It, it begins in our thoughts, our minds, what we think about. Okay? Um, the Greek word for word, logos, is not just the word you speak or the word you write. Logos is also the, the thought that you have in your head before you speak or write. Okay? Logos is the thinking, is the study. That's why we have theology and biology and archaeology. Logos is the study of things. It's the thinking about things. Okay? So the Greeks had it right. They knew that before we spoke or wrote anything, we had to think about it first. Okay? Before we act as Christians, we, we think our thoughts come first, okay? So if we want to change who we are, we need to change how we think, 
Okay, be transformed by the renewing of your kidney. That's the important thing. Okay, so you know, renew your minds, thoughts, and, and of course that's why we that's why we studied the Bible. When we're baby Christians, we don't know this. We don't know this very well. As we grow in Christ, as we grow in holiness, we we study the Bible because the Bible will help us transform our minds. If we're not reading Scripture, our minds cannot be transformed. <laughs> this this is mind transforming. Okay. So taking our worldly thoughts, getting rid of them, and taking on heavenly thoughts, uh, that will transform our mind. Our thoughts will actually change, and that's the beginning of transformation, okay? No transformation without cerebration, is it? Without thinking, <laughs> you know, think our thoughts are key, and changing our, th changing our mindsets, changing our thought life, the things we think about uh, comes from studying the Bible. We, we, we get a biblical mind, not a, not a worldly mind. That's the beginning of transformation. It's not the end of transformation, but it's where it begins. Okay. Good old C.S. Lewis. Uh, I'm going to... Uh, if you want to get the whole quote, uh, I haven't written down the whole quote here. Uh, you can Google C.S. Lewis, we must be hatched or go bad. Okay. If you Google that, you'll get the whole quote. Okay. Um, I've just got the first two sentences here. This is C.S. Lewis talking about being transformed by the renewing of your mind says this, uh, the real problem of the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. We're in Africa, we know what that's like. Eh? Yeah, Like wild Toyota Pajeros and wild Mercedes. Um, and the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in from the Bible, okay? And so on, he says, all day, okay? It begins when we wake up, getting rid of those thoughts and taking on biblical thoughts, and so on all day. It doesn't stop, okay? The wild animals are attacking us all the time. The Mercedes, the taxis are attacking us all the time. He says, it's standing back from all your natural fussings and frettings coming in out of the wind. That's, that's what it feels like, pushing away those worldly thoughts, taking on biblical thoughts. He says, we're baby Christians. When you're born again, you're a baby Christian. We haven't got this skill, okay? We can only do it for moments at first, okay? It's difficult to sustain it all day, all day. <laughs> But from those moments, the new sort of life will be spreading through our system because now we are letting God work at the right part of us, beginning here. It is the difference between paint, which is merely laid on the surface, and a dye or a stain which soaks right through. My wife loves the tea coil. We're not painting. You're putting stain on to soak right in. Yeah? It's the Pharisees were just painting. Jesus said, you need teak oil. It needs to soak right in. Forget the paint. Put in the stain. When Jesus says, be, be perfect, he meant it. He meant that we must go in for the full treatment. It is hard, but the sort of compromise we are all hankering after is harder. You know, staying one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Okay, that's harder. In fact, he says, it's not just harder, it's impossible. It may be hard for an egg to turn into a bird, it would be jolly sight harder for it to learn to fly while remaining an egg. You don't see many eggs flying around, do you? We, Christians, we are like eggs at the moment. 
But you cannot go on indefinitely being just an ordinary, decent egg. We must be hatched or go bad. We, we can't stay one foot in the world uh, and one foot in the church. We're co committed to be holy as I am holy. That's the journey we've started out on, and, and there's no turning back. Uh, we will be perfect one day. Jesus says, uh, he, well, Paul said, <laughs> he who began a work in us will carry it on to completion on the day of the Lord. And so we will be perfect. The dishes, the dirty dishes will be perfect. The program will finish, the door will open, uh, the, the water will evaporate, we'll come out dry and clean. Uh, we, we will be perfect one day. So, so while we are here, let's aim to get as far down that road as we can. Okay? No justification without sanctification. Okay, we're on the road to glory and perfection, so let's get as far down that road as we can. I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't want heaven to be a shock, okay? I, don't, I know you know what a cold shower is like when your geezer breaks. I don't want heaven to be like a cold shower on a wintry morning in Vintook, okay? When I get to heaven, I want to feel that, oh, this is familiar. I was working towards this. This feels good, okay? I don't want heaven to be a shock. The story of a guy who died went saw Peter at the pearly gates, and they walk in, wonderful houses, you know, Kleiner Cooper, everything, oh, fantastic. Oh, pretty good. Peter says, come with me. So they're going along, oh, walking by the house. Suddenly the houses are a bit smaller. It's a bit like Vintook West, you know, <laughs> a bit smaller. Oh, okay, okay, it's still nice, okay. Wooden floors, maybe. Bit further, bit further, gets a bit further. Oh, little Katajura sort of, you know, blocks, one block, one room houses. Oh, we're still walking, oh dear. Well, I hope we stop soon, says the guy. You know. Finally, they get to a little pile of bricks by the side of the road. And Peter says, here's yours. He said, what do you mean? He said, this is all the stuff you sent up. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's send up good stuff for heaven so that we've got somewhere to live. That's what they say at funerals. They? Their, their, works will go, their works will go with them. It's true. It's, it's how it will actually be. Okay? Um, it's, that's, that's the reality. Let's close with 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is... This is Paul on the same subject. Okay, how sending up good stuff to heaven. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15. Uh, Paul says this, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, as, a, as the missionary, as we heard last couple of weeks, Paul going out to places where the gospel had never been heard and planting the church. I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. Paul would move on, he would preach in a new area, someone would come behind him and build the church on Paul's foundation. But this is the key phrase, but each one should be careful how he builds. We must all be careful how we build. Okay? No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay? Justification, foundation, yeah, that's the work of God alone. Paul says, no one can lay any foundation other than that. That's God's foundation. Does that make sense? That's justification. God is laying a foundation, and no one else can do it. That's, that's, sal that's salvation. That's, 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 that's being saved from your sins, that foundation, okay? But, we must be, but now our job is to build on the foundation, okay? And the building, you see, the foundation saves us. The foundation is what saves us. Does that make sense? That's justification. That's based on what Christ did on the cross. Okay? 
So if I'm born again today, a foundation is laid, and if I walk home and I get run over by a taxi, I'm going to heaven because the foundation has already been laid. Yeah? I only had one hour to live as a Christian life, to live the Christian life before I got smacked. Yes? But I'm going to heaven because I'm, I'm, I'm born again. Do you, get the, do you get the idea? And no one else can lay that foundation. That's God's work on the cross and God's work in my heart to bring me to the point of conversion, to make me an enemy of God into a child of God. If, you're, if, you're, if you accept Christ, you can die the next second and, and you'll be in heaven because that, the foundation is what saves you. Your building doesn't save you. The foundation saves you. Get the idea? Yes. But our building doesn't save us. But we should, but Paul says, but be careful how you build. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light, the day, judgment day. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, the foundation, but only as one escaping through the flames. So we should be careful how we build because every second of every day we are putting, we are building. We're putting something in place on the foundation. We're adding to the building every second of every day. C.S. Lewis, we do this, this thought life, we do this every day and so on all day. You get the idea? <laughs> our thoughts, our actions, our words, they're all building on the foundation. Okay? And Paul says we can choose how we build. Okay? We can choose how we build. What are you building with? What am I building with? Okay? We can build with gold, silver, and costly stones. In other words, sanctification, holiness, obedience. Yeah? Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, not just converts, but we turn it to ourselves. We need to be, disi we need to be disciples, not converts. <laughs> Discipleship, growth, sanctification, holiness. We should be careful how we build. How am I building today? How am I going to build today? Am I going to build gold, silver, and costly stones? Yeah? Works of righteousness, works of obedience, uh, works of holiness. Or am I going to build with wood, hay, and straw? Works of disobedience, works of not botheringness, works of everything else. <laughs> yeah? When, when, you see, every moment of every day, God gives us a choice to, do, to go his way or our way, okay? When we go his way, we're building with gold, silver, and costly stones. When we're going our way, we're building with wood, hay, and straw. But the day of fire is coming, and all the wood, hay, and straw will be burnt up and count for nothing. Do you get the idea? It's, it's a wonderful picture. And this is, a, this is a picture of sanctification. This is what we're trying to say, okay? Justification is the foundation. Sanctification, we're building. But let us please be careful how we build. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, Lord Jesus, thank you that uh, you have laid a foundation in our lives through the death of Jesus on the cross. Uh, all our sins, not just the past ones, not just the ones of today, Lord, but even the ones of the future that we haven't committed yet. Lord, all those sins have been uh, removed from your sight. And as we stand, and we stand before you sinless, <laughs> and we stand before you in the righteousness of Christ. And that's amazing grace, Lord. And this foundation is strong and firm and eternal. 
will stand forever, Lord, because it's the work that you did uh, on our behalf. And yet, Lord, you, uh, you give us your Holy Spirit. You ask us to be holy as you are holy, Lord. You challenge us uh, to build on that foundation. And so, Lord, help us to be careful how we build. Please help us to choose the silver and the gold and the costly stones, the things that will just be refined by the fire and shine more brightly one day. Lord, uh, keep us from building with wood, hay, and straw, things that will just be burned up on that day and count for nothing. Uh, so, Lord, uh, thank you for working in us. Uh, thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. Help us to, uh, to rise to the challenge, to, to live the Christian life uh, that you want us to live. And, Lord, uh, we will shine for you, uh, and our walk will talk uh, and will count for your kingdom. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. This is Rico Veca, and I'm also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast. <laughs>